hey, ghoul scouts, it's Gabe of the ghouls next door. I bet you are very surprised to see that there is another episode debuting this week. Well, uh, you are in store for a special. So we have a wonderful interview in store for you. Um, Ashley Blackwell of Graveyard Shift Sisters, as well as the co-producer and co-writer of Horror Noir, which is an amazing documentary that you can find on Shudder, um, which is an awesome horror uh, subscription service provides us <laughs> the ghouls here um with a lot of content uh that is very unique um and very horror related because that's their whole thing right surprisingly uh <laughs> to my surprise anyway ashley blackwell lives here in philadelphia and she is having a screening of her film horror noir at a local video center scribe this friday july 26th um, at 7 p.m tickets are cheap you should definitely tune in if you can come down see me and her we're going to be hanging out doing some q a uh but precursor to that uh you can catch this interview that i did along with um gretchen klausing of pulling focus which is an amazing radio show here at wppm 106.5 fm uh talking about uh film and and media analysis and honestly just perfect for for a topic like horror noir so her and i uh co-interviewed this amazing woman uh, to talk about horror. So tune in to hear um, some tidbits from Horror Noir, uh, which is a documentary that talks about, it talks about black representation in horror film, as well as black horror film in general, right? We talk about that a lot here at Ghouls about how horror can really transcend um, most genres in being able to express some of our core um, values and fears, right? And so horror does that. Um, this is an amazing documentary to really, honestly, it's it's quintessential to your education as someone who loves horror. So if you haven't caught it yet, definitely do so. If you're in the area and you're available on Friday night, come down and see us um, and see this amazing film and hear from uh, Ashley Blackwell, who's doing amazing things. And if you can, please check out Graveyard Shift Sisters, which always keeps me informed um, and educated on what is happening in the horror sphere, as well as upcoming and burgeoning uh, artists who are creating work. Um, specifically um, women of color who are making really amazing horror films that you really should have on your radar now. Um, so stay tuned for this cool interview of from Pulling Focus featuring myself and Ashley Blackwell. Just um, so anyway, we're going to I would just sort of one of the reasons why I invited Gabe here this morning is, you know, Pulling Focus is a is a program about, you know, film and digital media culture. And I, I've spoken to filmmakers and curators and archivists, and I have yet to really sp speak to anyone specifically about the horror genre. And maybe that's also because I, I'm not someone who's 
really well versed in the horror genre. So uh, I, I'm going to maybe default to Gabe in, in certain areas, but I thought we could maybe just get things started just to get a, a sense from you as to what kind of drew you to the genre. And maybe when was the first moment that you sort of began to have that analysis where you, this was a genre that you were drawn to, but at the same time, you were not necessarily seeing yourself represented. Okay. Um, yeah. I, well, I started really young uh, watching um, horror films. And I mean like bits and pieces because I was still very young and I was kind of like exposed to certain things just by proxy of my, like my mother, like, or, you know, her friends, they would like watch all kinds of genre stuff. So Michael Jackson's thriller, cause I was a kid in like the early to mid eighties going on. And, um, you know, slasher films were big during that time too. So, you know, and also, you know, if, if, if you had HBO um, and you had a VHS, uh, player and you were able to dub um, movies off of um, television um, or cable that's what my mother was doing so we had kind of an archive of like all, all kinds of movies like comedy drama everything but like horror um, I don't know why it drew me I think I just kind of liked that it what it was something out of the ordinary and um, I just I, I guess I kind of just was just always inherently kind of a weird or left of center kind of a person um, <laughs> And that kind of stuff was really cool. It was really imaginative and it chilled me to my bones. It was like scary. It was like, I think for me, I was a person who didn't want to be afraid. Like I, I always wanted to push those boundaries and face my fears. I always, my, my, one of my favorite stories from when I was a kid is watching Michael Jackson's Thriller, which scared me to death. And I'm thinking to myself, one day, you know, I'm, I think I was with a babysitter. It was like Saturday afternoon. And, you know, how they replay things. They would do like Friday night videos. I think it was like ABC or something like that. And um, what was I? So, you know, I think I was, in, I was in the living room by myself. And I'm just like, oh, Thriller's coming on again. I, told, I remember I was like maybe four or five years old. I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this again. I'm not going to be scared because it's during the day. And then I watched it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so scared. But, like, I, but there was something about it that continued to draw me in. And I think, you know, you know fast forward a little bit to um, when, you know, we moved. We were in same, it was the same apartment building. This was on North 39th Street off of Palatine Avenue. So um, we, moved, we got a bigger apartment upstairs. And so I had my own room and I had my own TV. And that was great, too, because, you know... Uh, I would just watch anything I want, anytime I wanted. And I always, and I remembered, this was pro this had to be 1989, 1990, um, because on Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master had um, oh, yes. debuted in 1988. So um, I think this was, this was a uh, Philly 57. So they would do a Friday night movie. And um, one, one, one Friday night, they did they played they play Nightmare 4, and I loved it so much. It was the best thing I ever watched as, like, a seven-year-old kid. I loved it so much. I loved it, loved it, loved it. But I also loved this idea of um, I loved seeing a girl, a, a girl who was the main focus, and she goes through this transformative arc, and she's able to defeat Freddy in the end. And also, um, on top of that, um, there was this, there was this, there was this black girl in this movie, brown skin, big glasses, and she kind of <laughs> fit right in with the group. And that made me jump out of my seat. Cause again, I had, I wasn't really, you know, you're not really cognizant of it when you're a kid too much, but like just, but you know, you're, you're fully aware when you do see yourself on screen in this movie that you love so much, another girl who looks like you, that you feel like is your twin. And that really, really excited me. And so again, fast forward again. So I, so I think that was like the first movie that really made me think about you know, gender dynamics in horror, about even just representation in horror, too. And I, I just, it, it came, became a mild obsession as I got older. I kind of, you know, um, I always loved horror. I 
spent my high school days, this is around, so high school, I was, you know, that's, this is when the screen boom really happened. So I was at the theater almost every weekend with, you know, I know what you did last summer, disturbing behavior, urban legend. Oh, I saw. All- well, let's talk. I mean, what I really appreciated about uh, Horror Noir, uh, History of, of Black Horror, the, the documentary that you worked on, uh, it was directed by Xavier Bergen, and then you were co-producer and, 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 and co-writer on, was the, the, the connection to history and kind of the, the, the rigor that you all applied to what I did, you know, not just having kind of conversations that were like, Oh, that was so fun. How crazy. I love that character. Oh my God, Pam Greer. She's so gorgeous. Like, you know, (laughs) but it was really, um, which is great. And I love all that, but that you had the, you know, connecting it back to birth of a nation, which is, I think for all of us who went to, to, to film school and were in media studies class, I mean, that thing is like raised up and it's like one of the Mm -hmm. first things you see and seeing how you all were talking about it and presenting it, I thought was, you know, really important. And so if you could just talk a little bit about how did you and Xavier, um, well, first get maybe get together and then figure out that that was like an important part of what you wanted to do, which was connecting it to history and then connecting it to just kind of contemporary events um, as you approach the film. Yeah, it started. Well, the first things first, um, Dr. Robin Armin's Coleman wrote wrote the book. So it's loosely based on her 10 plus years work of putting this book together. And so, you know, that, that she's really the foundation. Her hard work is really the foundation of what we were able to do. And, you know, I read her book, of course, multiple times, cover to cover. And the first chapter is really about, you know, what does fear look like it, with for, for Black Americans? And how are we constructed as fear for, you know, this, you know, white supremacist United States? And it was kind of through a birth of a nation. So she looks at Gus as the Black boogeyman. So, I mean, that was, a um, you know, and, and, and all of us as, um, you know, interview subjects and also us behind the scenes, you know, we, we acknowledge that. So we wanted to implement that as much as possible. And also it was really great that when we show clips of Birth of a Nation in the movie theater, that people were responding to it as well. Like, like our, our interview subjects were acknowledging that connection to history and how black people are portrayed on screen. Um, you know, um, Xavier came on as, you know, the uh, visual kind of visionary kind of guy. Um, when we were we were kind of looking for um, directors that we could work with, and he just happened to be in Los Angeles and happened to be really passionate about the project. He had he had um, great ideas for lookbooks and things like that. So you know, Shutter, you know, hired him, and we he, we um, it was really great to work with him um, on set. Um, you know, we did the we put together the uh, documentary um, in Philly. So we worked at a, um, we worked at Stage 3 Productions and we did everything in the editing room and things like that. And me and Phil Nobile Jr. and Danielle Burroughs, who were the other producers, we kind of came together and were able to um, work hard on, you know, constructing the story and kind of putting it together. And, and we're, it took a lot of figuring out, like, how do we do this? We want we wanted to be as creative and innovative as possible as far as documentary filmmaking. But, um and, and, and we did that. We did a little bit of both because we were trying to figure out, do we want to make this linear or do we want to? So but I think we I think it was a great compromise of like, you know, um, combining the themes that uh, we kind of came up with that kind of encompass blacks and horror and also and black horror and um, 
and also kind of making it kind of a history lesson that's really engaging and very entertaining. So that's kind of how the process worked. I mean, it worked having it go chronologically because I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, you were able to kind of see how, you know, obviously see how things developed. And then as things were changing, you could take on all the different tropes in a, in that, in that same way. So, I mean, sometimes I, I reject things going chronologically, but I think in this instance, I, I thought it was completely appropriate and worked really well. What I, I wanted to ask you about was I am not always a fan of having in documentary films, like two people kind of in conversation or being interviewed. Sometimes I just don't really think it works. Right. But for whatever reason, how you guys made it work really well. And so um, I was curious how you all kind of, why are you laughing? Um, (laughs) I'm just, I wanted you to finish your question because I was kind of going to go on. Like I hear what you're saying because it, it was, it was not easy. It was a challenge. And I think it, it was like it was, a, again, it was a really great combination of both where it worked really great, but it was also really kind of difficult to kind of like, you know, keep the struck, keep things together as you're kind of having two people kind of engage. So, you know, it was I was the one, I was kind of leading that charge. I was the one in every single interview kind of sitting, you know, behind those cameras, like literally there'd be me and like another camera person were literally like, you know, you know, uh, side to side because they have to get particular camera angles based on Xavier's um, input about, you know, and me having to like, you know, kind of throw at them talking points and kind of talk about, you know, their love of horror and their, it, that's, it's not easy because when two <laughs> people are talking, it's it's very, like, I'm really great talking to people one-on-one. That's where you, I can really, like, you know, um, it's where you get the best of me. But when there's like too many talking heads and too many cooks in the kitchen, and it's it's a cha- it's a challenge. That, but, it's, but it ended up being really great, like, as far as personal and skill growth, like, you kind of just learn how to put on your producer hat and I had Phil and I had Kelly Ryan, who also um, is a partner at Stage 3. They were really great giving me those tips and guidelines because they really, I honestly think that they had a conversation together and be like, okay, we're just going to let Ashley just do everything. <laughs> just like, we're just going to, we're going to give her the pointers, but no, she's going to um, lead this charge. And like, you know, with little to no experience, I just knew the content. And, but I really do appreciate them kind of nudging me and pushing me and challenging me a little bit and making me come out of my shell even more. Just one last question about sort of how you, approached the the interviews so were they seeing clips in the movie theaters and then responding to them or had they I'm just curious like how that was set up yeah so the idea was um we put I forget how long the reel was that me and the editor worked on um but yeah we put together a, a really uh a, a, a clip reel and kind of showed them different clips of um, movies throughout the um, throughout the history of Black Horror. We um, I picked the ones that I thought were particularly important, and we put together the reel. We sent it to um, the people. Oh God, forgive me. I forget the name of the theater that we shot in. Oh no, um, I'm gonna circle back and hopefully and uh, it's in the credits but yeah so we sent them everything and yeah I mean we did we did the interview we got the talking points that we needed and then we're just like okay guys we want you to kind of just like you know watch these clips and like you know any any kind of insight you want to talk to each other about what you're seeing go for it and so they did and we let loose and there was a lot of great behind the scenes stuff that didn't get in our noir they were just funny like just funny little side things but I'm glad we were able to put some of it in the end credits so who were some of the directors that were interviewed and was there a particular pairing that you were just like, Oh, that was, that was gold. Like, <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, the first thing that came to mind is Ernest Dickerson and Rusty Kundiev because they're both directors and, um, 
they had a lot of great things to say because I knew not I knew they were both immersed in like, you know, um, black culture and black ideas. Ernest Dickerson worked with Spike Lee, um, Rusty Kundiaf as well. So they and they also they come from these um, they come from these uh, cinematic um, perspectives of of black cinema and black representation. So they I knew they had more to say, not just about horror, but about, you know, black people in the black community and black history. So and also I kind of just loved that Ernest kind of talked about how Attack the Block was, you know, if I had this when I was a kid, you know, and I, I agree because that's why I when I talk, I really let loose when I kind of talked about Attack the Block because I love that movie <laughs> on the same kind of wavelength that he was kind of talking about it. So that was a great pairing because they're two directors. They I think they knew each knew each other, so they were, it was really great to hear them kind of um, play off of each other because even their anecdotes they had a really, some really great insights on, th- on certain things and like hearing about um, and I think it was really great for audiences because I think they loved kind of hearing about behind the scenes stuff, especially when you talked about bones and like all these other mm-hmm. different things. So, yeah. no, I thought they were an, an amazing pairing. I thought they were a tremendous pairing, and I also just love the work of Ernest Dickerson as a cinematographer. Yes. And I loved him talking about like Jada Pinkett dying her hair like uh-huh. right before. <laughs> I love to talk of bones with uh, Snoop Dogg being yeah. blushing. I, every time I see it, I love it. All right, we don't, yeah, spoilers. We don't want to do too many spoilers. So we, we won't <laughs> yeah. say why Snoop was blushing, but anyway, it was yes. it was it was. Um, I thought it was a a, a great uh, device because it kind of broke up the individual. Uh, academics and film, you know, theorists who are amazing, but it just kind of gave a nice kind of counterbalance to to that and and kind of I think propelled the the film along really well. It's interesting, you know, there's a particular moment where things in at least in the United States seem to shift in terms of of black horror. And that was I guess in the 90s. And what was it that was happening in the 90s that was so um, unique and that was really signifying that there was a shift in what was happening in terms of black horror. I think just um, give the um, open opportunities that black filmmakers in general had. Um, Daughters of the Dust, um, uh, that was by Julie Dash. Um, Casey Lemons decided to move um, more towards directing, um, out of, a little bit out of acting. Um, you know, there was John Singleton, um, the Hughes brothers, I believe. So yeah, I think I think it's because um they all of these um other directors are getting opportunities, and you know the ones who were into horror, who were interested in making horror films like Darren Scott, er, um, Ernest, and um, Rusty, um they you know impl- again they were kind of doing what they were doing in those um urban dramas if you can call them that or um other types of um black films that were going on and trying to just put like fantastical elements into it and just they make they were just kind of making horror movies um i think that's kind of what what influenced um i think you know the idea of this black film renaissance happening you know was directly um there were you know there there was that marriage of like oh we can also make horror movies too so i think that's kind of how that how that got rolling one of my more recent questions that I have. So uh, I follow Graveyard Shift Sisters because, like I said, <laughs> Gretchen oh, said I'm a big fan. Oh, dear. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, uh, and it's for just me as someone who loves like horror and loves looking into it. It always kind of opens my eyes and allows me to look back at something. Right. Um, and most recently, uh, an article that did that was the Midsummer uh, article about how we're subverting like the tropes that we see in horror with our black characters. Um, I can't remember his name. I just know him as Chidi. In yeah, his <laughs> name is Josh in the movie. <laughs> yes. Um, so for me, like I, 
I, for my own personal reasons, have problems with Midsummer. <laughs> it's just a film. Uh, but reading that article, it made me think like, okay, well, I'll, like I'll relook at it and kind of like watch this and in. in in, with a new lens, right? Um, and I feel like that happens a lot with when I'm looking at and reading yeah. uh, uh, Graveyard Shift Sisters. So I kind of wanted to talk about how, um, like, what your opinion is on how horror does, in some ways, subvert the traditional ways and tropes that we see in horror, or or not in horror, but in just general with all genres when it comes to black characters, right? Um, there's some that are mentioned in horror noir, um, and specifically with like women of color, right? Like we have these traditional tropes that have come up throughout history and how are we kind of, what does horror do to those? Before you answer, Ashley, can you, can you just describe some of those tropes? Like what are the tropes that you're thinking about? Yeah. So there's general tropes, uh, in regards to women in horror. Uh, so we have like the final girl or the, the blonde victim, um, that we're always kind of seeing over and over again. And then when we have women of color, just in, in general, right, we have characters like Ma, Right. We have, like, you know, the one who's just taking care of um, the uh, the the white characters. Right. Their whole point is to be um, to help them on their path. Right. Uh, that happens with men of color as well. But then we also have like the sassy friends. Right. Who ends up dying or puts herself in way of the, the main character who happens to be white. Um, and there are ways that we've kind of transform that or, or subverted that lens um, on the horror side in some ways and then also in some ways kind of drilled those home as well yeah. <laughs> so just kind of like what your thoughts are on how horror uh, tackles some of the the tropes that we see in all genres you made a great point about horror kind of being um, overlooked and um, kind of you know um, under underutilized I guess as um, uh, something to observe as you know uh, Something to pursue intellectually or to look at seriously and just that balance of like it's it, these movies are saying something, but they're also very fun and entertaining. I think you could they, they clearly um, do both. Um, and these really like crazy, you know, we crazy um fantastical ways that mm -hmm. I think so, that think, I think that I think people are thrown off by the fantasy of it and like don't really understand that like no um, Freddy Krueger is not going to kill you if you if you go to sleep but you know what does his character kind of say about what is how is he, does he kind of represent representation of a, a of a cultural anxiety or something like that so I think for me with um, black characters in horror kind of subverting Honestly, yeah. I mean, kind of moving away from like, you know, just being whole people and being imperfect and being the hero and, you know, making, you know, making questionable decisions, but also making smart decisions. I think, again, it's really I'm, I'm looking for balance and I'm looking for I think that's why, you know, movies like us and, you know, um, even get out or these these films that you um you know peel specifically is putting characters in situations where you know he's he's cleverly make, he's cleverly having them make decisions that are that are smart and that are very human and i think that's what i've always kind of wanted i think that's why i go back to sheila and nightmare 4 you know she was just a character in a movie she wasn't sassy she wasn't she didn't sacrifice herself she was i she i love i she does fit well into that 80s trope of kind of first to die that kind of kind of came up and kind of that became kind of a cultural conversation um but also you know she was just she was not 
that person that I she wasn't sat she wasn't sassy yeah. like she was just like a regular kind of girl who got she didn't she didn't stick out like a sore thumb she kind of she was with these she was with these other she's with her white peers and she was just kind of one of the girls and that's what I appreciate and that's what I'm kind of looking for that's what that's what subverting tropes to me is it's just like you know we always are we have to constantly face day to day as people of color to see ourselves and we're always othered and and monstrized. I don't know if that's a word, but, you know, and, you know, being gunned down and all of these things. And this has been going on since the beginning of time and to, you know, and we're using, and now they're newer filmmakers and other filmmakers that are, that are utilizing, that are utilizing media to kind of, you know, put, characters of color in these positions where you're just seeing them as regular people, as real whole human beings. And I think that's what I'm looking for. And that's what I kind of see as a shift. I don't know if Midsommar really does that. I, 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 I sort of, I just don't, I just, I just, I, I don't know. I just feel like his character, I'm just like, it's, it's a very white landscape, very white people. <laughs> yes. and you have this one very chocolate black man. And I don't know, it doesn't, really fully makes sense to me why this is his thesis project. I mean, you can argue, but I just, it <laughs> doesn't feel very realistic to me. I mean, I do love that, um, that, uh, that um, essay that Mary Kay McBrayer wrote. Um, shout out to her and her podcast, mm-hmm. Everything Trying to Kill You. Um, I'm really glad that she came on as a contributor and kind of gave that perspective because I really do appreciate when she said that. But at the same time, I, I'm still kind of just like, I don't know. He didn't need to be there. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 and the way he died, too, because also what we talk about in <laughs> yes. Horror Noir is that he had the most horrific death. Oh, I'm sorry. Spoilers. Um, his <laughs> death was yeah. so heinous compared to everyone else's. And you really see it. And um, my, see it. Yeah. And other, my, you know, other producer of Horror Noir, Phil, was telling me he was just like, yeah, it's kind of just like he, it, his, his death kind of like it felt like what happened in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when you first see Leatherface and he brings that hammer down on that one I forget the character's name but he kills him in the house and he, he gets gets that sledgehammer to the head and he just starts like shaking and convulsing and this is really visceral and just very jarring so yeah I, I'm with you there yeah yeah there's a lot in that specific movie that I feel like wasn't fully thought out or is from a lens that uh didn't have a right to say the things that they were saying, <laughs> but that's my own opinion about Midsummer, which is a whole different rant. <laughs> yeah, but I I think what's interesting about horror and, and kind of what I wanted to talk about is more about films like Us, right? So we see on screen an entire family, right? And, and it's not remarked upon or a part of the thing, like, this is a black family, right? right. It, it just, this is a black family, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, we get to see them in their, it's, it's not a trope. They're just the characters mm-hmm. that we're following, right? And I think there's a difference that we're seeing between the characters in that versus the characters in Get Out, where race is very much what we're seeing. Um, so I kind of wanted to, like, pick your brain about um, kind of the violence and the message that's coming from Get Out versus, like, kind of the leniency and the the freedom that Jordan Peele gets with us in just having black characters just be characters. Yeah, so hopefully I can answer this fully. Um I think with I'm because th- I'm thinking off the top of my head with us, I think he just kind of like that's that was his kind of kitchen sink movie. He made this really like tight groundbreaking movie that really he obviously the story is he wrote it before Trump was elected. So it wasn't really, you know, he was writing it when, you know, Obama, where a lot of people are having these conversations. And the joke I always love that some another podcaster has said, racism is over. Woo! And, you know, and that's not really the case. And that's what I think he was writing to like these 
do-gooder liberals who really aren't so well-intentioned um, to, and, and, and also don't, again, look at black people as full people, that people who deserve to have autonomy over their bodies and minds and expression. Um, so I think with, yeah, I think us is much more of an abstract look at um, class relations. And um, I don't know, I hope I'm answering your question. I just, um, so I think, yeah, I think um, Get Out is, uh, yeah, it really, it, it, it was like, I guess it was kind of lightning in a bottle where it like perfectly was speaking to the times that we're in when it came out. Um, and I think that's why people responded to it so well. And it was also a really, really great film. And I thought it was super creative the way he he implemented it. There's a lot of um, nuances that he put in as far as like the, the motive of the Armitage family. And I also am a conspiracy theorist myself. So I kind of yeah. like the whole idea of a secret society that's just stealing black people. Like, I think that's, that's it's, it's scary. It is scary. And again, he's he's going off of these fantastical elements but also kind of implementing like real life situations into it so with um us i think he does the same thing i think there are a lot of themes in us that that are really underexplored but i also think that peel does a lot of things on purpose i think he's he wants us to think more and more and more about what we're seeing in the film and his little easter eggs and things like that he's also a a big fan of the genre i remember listening to another podcast called shockwaves where um, rebecca mckendry who's also um, a horror scholar filmmaker she's amazing and she's kind of talking about when he was like um doing um doing get out where like i think he had a small office in the blumhouse um studios and like you know he had like all of these like you know again like like a director does they have a lookbook they have visuals that they kind of um bounce off to kind of create with their own vision and she was seeing all of these obscure horror films and she was like kind of like you know making the point that like he is a real fan of the genre and a real like you know student and intellectual scholar of this genre um so yeah i think us is i really really i think that was his point too he has this like you know this dark-skinned black family just on vacation but there's more going on i think this it doesn't have to be about race and i think again when i loved when he first started talking about what us was going to be he was like yeah i grew up loving poltergeist and all those movies and there were white families and i just want to see a black family go through it and see what yeah. happens with them and i'm just like yes so so i that's what i really loved about those both of those films and i hope i answered your question you did no <laughs> absolutely yeah can and, i yeah um, go ahead um i kind of want to take us back to I think what is, I want to take us back to a moment in film history that a lot of the people cited in uh, Horror Noir and that is 1968 and Night of the Living Dead and what I found very interesting was just kind of the conversation around the casting and just how you know George Romero like that wasn't his intention to have um a black man be the lead character in this zombie movie. But the, that decision, the shockwaves that that sent through. So what, what has been your experience? Um, and when was maybe the first time you, you saw um, the Night of the Living Dead? Wow. So I think first things first, I think uh, the casting had a lot to do with Romero's upbringing. I think he, I think he, so he's, he is a man of color mm-hmm. and he also, gosh, I, forget exactly where he grew up but I think he kind of comes from a very um 
multicultural um, upbringing and space and just pre- even his social circle. And I think that's probably why he wasn't looking at, oh, there's this black guy that, you know, I don't think he, I think he saw Dwayne Jones as black, but he wasn't like worried about that influencing his movie. He just, you know, I really do think he thought he was the best guy for the job. Not that he didn't see color. That's not what I'm saying. But I think just because of his surroundings and his um, background as well, I think it's just, he didn't, you know, he didn't put, you know, restrictions on who he thought he could cast for this particular film. And he was also part of that. Um, I think that was kind of where you saw the turn of like new Hollywood and these kind of emerging filmmakers. That's when you saw kind of Wes Craven kind of come into the picture and things like that. And they were, um, they were, they were, they were these kind of rogue maverick um, filmmakers who were just making the films that they wanted to see or they wanted to really uh, make a make a statement about what's going on in the world. And, you know, their uh, uh their discontent with what the 60s were supposed to do and didn't do. And um, yeah, I think that, yeah, and his, Ben's death at the end, I don't, honestly, I don't remember when I saw it, but I do remember seeing it relatively young and being kind of taken aback by that. And then, but it, but it also was one of those movies that really made me want to look into, you know, because I always, I always thought about the time that it was, um, the time that um, it came out and also what happens in the film and just kind of like, is there any kind of correlation? Are people talking about that? Um, for me, the best part of Night of the Living Dead and kind of experiencing it is kind of just talking to my elders. Um, I know that a lot of people um, in the black communities were seeing these films and like going in droves. I know Tanana Redu's husband, um, Stephen Barnes, I think he, I think one of the stories I remember him hearing talking about this film is like the black community just went, they, what there's a, black guy in this movie again there's a black man in this movie and he's kind of the center central focus and so I always like hearing about the people who were there in the 60s and going to see this movie and being so again that's that's why I love horror so much because we're able you didn't really see that I mean Sidney Poitier was like really the only kind of leading man at the time and maybe Bill Cosby but you know um, but this but this other guy that really no one knew who he was in this really fantastical movie that was saying a lot about what people of color and black people were going through in the 60s. I think that's what that was the drawing power of that. And um, the black community and black audiences, again, are finally getting the respect that they deserve for, for really pushing hard into a, into um, the direction I think it is now. Yeah. All right. Well, OK, yeah. well, you mentioned something that I, I think is also really you mentioned audiences and going to movie theaters. And to me, that's something, again, not necessarily being somebody who goes to see a lot of horror films because I'm kind of a wimp, but that audience experience, that collective viewing experience uh, is seems to me to be something that's really kind of important to the genre. And now, again, the documentary is on a streaming platform like Shudder. Like, wh- how do you, what, what is the correlation, do you think, are, is, it, is, is the audience experience still something really important to the success of horror? Or could it survive exclusively if it was just in, an, in a streaming online environment? Oh, no, definitely. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's all about money. Um, box office numbers determine whether you're going to get sequels, whether even filmmakers in general are getting opportunities. Um, again, Jordan Peele really <laughs> opened up the doors. Like, again, like I know people are ho-hum about horror remakes, but he could do a lot with Candyman. I know we talked about it. Um, I get teased every time because of my reaction to Candyman <laughs> and horror noir. I get teased about it all the time. But, you know, I liked what he said about it because I think we were kind of all were kind of in, ing- in agreement about it. And um, so I, 
just going back to what you were kind of saying, um, yeah, I think the audience experience is important. Now, I'm the exception to the rule. I am not a talker in theaters. I like, you know, especially when I'm seeing a movie for the first time, I'm one of those black people that's just like, you need to just, you know, can you, you know, no, no, this is not, this, we don't talk. Like, just, I, <laughs> I'm such an intense film fan. I'm just like, no, if I'm watching something for the first time, I want, I, I, just, I don't need, I don't need your commentary. Like, I'm, I want to watch this and I want to watch it in peace. <laughs> but again, but then there's also the other exceptions where you're just where you're going to kind of like a uh like an event where like it's a movie that's been out for 30 plus years and like we're all fans we're all going to see it of course we're going to be like talking back to the screen and things like that like my favorite was I went to go see Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors and that was kind of an event for like I think that was like a Philly Comic Con like off site event that was going on and so yeah we're all talking and there's commentary from Heather Langenkamp and um Chuck Russell, I believe, is the director, and they were kind of like talking about the. Um, they were doing commentary on the film. We're all kind of like you know saying the lines, and so that that those, those communal experiences are fun. But like, no, when I'm like going to see a first release, no, keep, keep down. <laughs> I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about. You mentioned sort of the so the young women of color, these up and coming directors, and who are some people that we should be paying attention to, and and how. Um, how can we see their work? Like, where where can we find them? Sure, there's, okay, so I'm going to try to run this down as best as I can. So Zena Shade Dixon, she has some movies on Amazon um, and Vimeo. I think her movie Night of the Witch is on um, Amazon. It's a really great short film. Um, Nikki Atu Jusu, I believe Suicide by Sunlight, which was a Sundance pick for this year. That's going to be at Black Star Film Festival this August um, in the shorts program. So she's really great. Um, her co-writer for that is Arshanae Williams. Her movie Paralysis is on Amazon, I believe, as well. Uh, there's... Uh, Zendashe Brown, who she's from Louisiana, so she's steeped in Southern Gothic. Like that is her jam. So Blood Runs Down. I'm not sure if that's available streaming just yet, but I think because I think I think it's still I think yeah. She told me when we saw each other where she's going to do that. She's finalizing the film festival circuit. I think probably by at the end of the year next year that film would be available. That's a great representation of Southern Gothic. She has a really good grasp on it. She films in Louisiana, so she's working on a new movie called Haint. Um, that she's probably going to shop around the film festivals as well. Oh, wow. I'm like blanking. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are the women off the top of my head that um, are really great that, again, I think women are, my thesis is that women are, black women are the next emerging. They're, they're going to, uh, there's going to be men involved too, but I think we should really be focusing on the women because I think their stories are a little bit more unique and have a, and are going to be more focused on um, black women and are going to have a lot to say about them. Um, and again, Making the black experience a human experience and humanizing black women and black men where we're not seeing them humanized in other spaces. So this is going to be great. There's one thing I love about what you have on Graveyard Shift Sisters, which is this take action tab. And why is that important for you? And, and talk about how folks can take action. Yeah, I think um, I wrote that years ago. I think, again, that's part of just my um, thank you, Temple University, for kind of like giving me kind of this uh, this intellectual rigor of like really wanting to um, give people the resources and the tools they can to kind of do it themselves. And um, yeah, a, a part of taking action is supporting these women. Like, you know, um, I have, there's, there's a list, you know, um, of, these these women um, and men directors. I I, lo I love talking to men directors too for Graveyard Shift Sisters. There's all that stuff there. Um, pick up a book. Um, if you are a educator in media arts and high school, college, and you have the um, 
open opportunity to kind of, you know, talk about and teach whatever you want. Um, you know, use use my res- use this resource if you want to, if you're into horror, use um Shift Sisters as a resource for, you know, a lecture series or anything like that. And also because it's not just my website, too. There's other websites as well that um, are doing really great work and talking to people of color in general, um, filmmakers who are, in, are into the um, who are into the horror genre. So that's kind of like, yeah, I think um, the take action tab is kind of just like saying, here's all this stuff. And, you know, because, again, horror noir and my final girl, the, the you know, the. The, my Final Girl as kind of this kind of mini kind of documentary and horror noir, the book is what gave me the uh, inspiration to do what I do. So I just want to give that and more to other people. I was wondering if you could talk about um, The Girl with All the Gifts because that was a film that I was not aware of. And it was, again, me being a horror wimp, was one of the films there that I was like, I want to I see that. I yeah. really want to see that. And so so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that I mean, we we incorporated those two films because this, the, the you know, if we were trying to really focus on American horror, but it was hard to kind of not talk about like where the genre is headed without talking about those two films because they're really important about, about showing um, um, black people as kind of heroes or, or central characters and black kids specifically because I don't think John Boyega was even 18 when he did Attack the Block. And since Senia Nanua is definitely much younger, she's about probably 15, 16 now, maybe. So um, The Girl with All the Gifts um, is a movie that I really loved. I, again, I because I'm on, I'm, I'm hashtag film Twitter, so I'm a part of that kind of community. So I'm knowing about all of these new films. And so when I heard about The Girl with All the Gifts, that's actually based on a book of the same name, I believe. Um, and then the writer of the book was also the screenwriter of the um, film, and maybe the director as well. Um, nice. Forgive me if I'm getting my information um, incorrect, but um, but I know he was a really um, critical part of uh, uh, putting that film together. And also, I know, like like we say in the documentary, um, Senia came Senia came in and just kind of like you know killed the role just kind of like Dwayne Jones in Night of the Living Dead and that's why they gave her the um the opportunity to do it because I know in the in the book she's a white character and then, and also her teacher in the film is black and they switched so they kind of did kind of reversals like that so um I heard about the movie and I saw this little black girl and I was like this is again like again I was just so excited like um, a lot of other people in Harney were kind of talking about it, like excited to see this black girl in this movie and it's a movie um, about again it's a zombie apocalypse movie and it, it's, it's very it's science and horror kind of emerging and coming together where she's kind of this new she's kind of the evolution of of, of, of humans where it's like now um like, like you know, us as the way our biology is made up, we're, we're kind of dying off. And these people that are these new people that were birthed from their mothers, um, they killed their mothers, unfortunately. But like in spoilers, um, they kind of <laughs> mutated into these um, into these new beings. And this black girl decides to take the reins and say, you know, well, this is the new world. So sorry. <laughs> and, and, and I don't think she's really even that apologetic about it. It's just like this is this is. She recognized early on that this is what this is how the world is just going to evolve and old people are going to die off. And so and I think there's really great insight um, and commentary about that in horror noir. Gabe, I know one thing that you and I were sort of talking about in preparation for this interview was also how horror can be a way for people to deal with just just trauma <laughs> trauma and 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 the world and when i was kind of looking at 
you know, the girl with all the gifts and just the state <laughs> of our world and also this kind of link to Afrofuturism. Yes. You know, I just thought it was really um, interesting. And, and, and is it your sense that this is kind of where things are are evolving or, or how, I mean, do you also see horror as this way of, of directors addressing kind of the, the, the issues and problems in, in society? Yeah. So I definitely, and also again, it's, I want that, ba- I really would like that balance where there's going to, there's going to be people that are um, filmmakers cause I've read a ton of scripts now. So there's going to be uh, these emerging filmmakers that are going to be addressing kind of these external kind of social problems that are universal, but also kind of the internal that are universal. Um, I work really closely with um, Arshane Williams and she's got a great, and a lot of her scripts really come from these personal experiences, but that feel really visceral and really real, um, you know, kind of, just talking about like people who are dealing with kind of internal um, trauma, which is which, whether it's either mentally or physically, and how does that kind of ma- how would that manifest in a horror film that I, you know, write or direct? And so a lot of a lot of people are doing both, and they're talking about. Um, you're talking about problems that are going on. There's a really, I read a really funny script about cultural appropriation, about dystopia, about um, dictatorship and totalitarianism. People who are really kind of having this anxiety about the Trump administration and where we're going. It's going to be a handmade sale situation. So how do I put, how does, how, how do I fit into that as a black person and how do I make it hard? So that's definitely um, going on. Again, I don't want to, I'm seeing a lot of um, black creatives just feel more inspired and more, they feel more, I think there's a confidence that I feel like Post Get Out is giving a lot of black filmmakers that they don't feel like they, they're they snuffed. I know, again, Tanana Reeve-Dew is a great person to kind of talk to and follow on Twitter because she's been trying to make black horror films for decades. And she sees Jordan Peele. She's like, finally, we're getting, because, you know, she's been pushing and doing so many things. And, you know, executives just not giving her the respect of her work and her vision. And now... They're fine because because Jordan Peele made it dollars and cents. And so now they're, you know, I'm just I'm hoping that this is a trajectory that opens up the bridge for people who are even more unknown. Again, Jordan Peele is remaking Candyman and he hired Nia DaCosta to do it. So she's the first black woman who's going to direct a mainstream horror film. I checked. So this is amazing. This is groundbreaking. And, you know, she's also, again, another um, side resource. Switchblade Sisters is another great podcast. She's been on it with the um, with the uh, with the uh, 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 host, April Wolf. And she kind of talked about just loving horror and finally getting an opportunity to direct a horror film. So this is everything is it's slow. But because I'm an impatient person, so I feel like it's slow, but it is happening. I'm hoping to be a part of helping people get in the door and, and, and push forward and make some really great art. I'm just curious. I love that you're here in Philly and this is super exciting. And so, um, and this is no pressure and not, but, but what is, is there something specific about you being able to be here or how, how does that work that you're working in the industry and you're doing all of this, but, but you're here in Philly, like, Honestly, just it is just circumstance. I was um, born and raised here. I am. I, I I always say I claim dual, dual citizenship. I'm from Philadelphia, but I'm also from Robert Darby. I graduated from Robert Darby High School. So, yeah, I'm just here. And I, it, it was just it was kismet. I mean, Phil Newbill Jr. He he worked at stage three, and 
he saw Get Out and got excited and was like, I got to talk to Ashley about this. And, you know, went to, again, went to Kelly and said, hey, we could make a documentary about this. And I just happened, we just happened to be all in the same city and things worked out really great. Again, it was just, it was just, it was the best circumstance that could have possibly happened where, you know, there was no kind of commuter. I'm, I'm really proud that it was done here. A lot of people don't know that. So, <laughs> but I'm really glad that we were able to like, you know, produce it and put it together here. We did film in LA. Um, LA we filmed in LA and also College Station, Station, Texas, which is two hours out of outside of Austin. So that's where we filmed, but everything was done in house as far as the editing, pre-production, all that stuff. Hi, cool. Awesome. Again, Ashley Blackwell, thank you so much for being a guest here um, at WPPM. And where can people find the film? Where they, can they find, um, you know, Graveyard Shift Sisters? Yeah, it's graveyardshiftsisters.com. Um, Horror Noir is streaming on Shuttered. It's also on iTunes. Uh, I am on Twitter at Graveyard Sister. And from there, you can find everything. I have a Tumblr page and a Facebook page you can like as well. All right, awesome. And... Ashley Blackwell and Gabe Castro will be at Scribe Video Center on uh, Friday, July 26th at 7 p.m. Ashley will be there presenting a screening of Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, and talking about it. And it's just been so great to have you here in the studios this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I had a fun. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks. All right. Bye. (laughs)